Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode 124 of the Leading Wild Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by the Chief Strategic Planning Facilitator of Bridge Solutions, LLC, also a pastor and good friend by the name of Seth Yolorda. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Seth, I want to thank you so much for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast. I mean, your reviews, wherever you listen to podcasts, you've been sharing it on social media, you've been telling other people about it. I want to thank you so much for going on this leadership journey and for encouraging other leaders along the way. I also want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode 123, Relationship ROI with Oliver Marcel. We talk about Oliver's journey into manhood, his new book, Overcoming the Man Laws, and the work that he and his wife, Denise, are doing with Denali. It's for Denise and Ali, Denali LLC, and the marriage and relationship enrichment mission that they are on. Okay, my guest on this episode is Seth Yolorda. Seth is a friend of mine who has a tremendous amount of senior leadership experience. Now, Seth does it all, public speaking, creative problem solving, conflict resolution, team building. And Seth has worked with organizations across the country, faith-based and beyond, to help them develop vision clarity. He works with strategy, he develops leaders, and he helps to transform culture. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation today because we throw around the word vision so much, but sometimes we find it easier to talk about vision, to preach about vision, to listen to videos about vision. We find that easier than actually going down the path to find what the vision is for our organization and then live that out. And that's what my conversation with Seth is about today. So here's our feature conversation with Seth Yolorda. Excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Seth Yolorda. Seth, thanks so much for being my guest today. Dude, my pleasure, man. Glad to be here. For sure. So Seth, man, let's just dive right in. Just, just dive right in. Go take me back high school, college. Uh, give me a time when you you saw the impact of a leader who had a clear sense of vision or or a clear sense of direction, either for themselves or for the organization, the church, the business that that, that they were a part of. Oh man, personally, I think the the leader that stands out to my mind in my mind that I most that maybe at my earliest stage of development saw and kind of took notice would definitely have to be Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Right. Specifically when he was, you know, communicating his I have a dream speech and he was really just putting this this vision. He was casting this vision. I remember memorizing that speech um, in high school for various for various um, speeches and oratories that we had to do. And so just really understanding kind of what he was saying and why he was saying it and then the impact that that speech had. To me, that would probably be like one of the earliest memories that I personally have of someone else who was able to articulate with stunning clarity a vision for, a, you know, pretty much a nation, but you know, for a large group of individuals and have them, you know, rally behind that vision and, and be willing to sacrifice life and limb, man, for to achieve that vision, you know, so for sure, um, it would have to be Dr. King, man. Man, that's man, that's such a great example. I mean, casting that compelling, vivid mm -hmm. 
a vision that's still lasting and we still have the impact, the reverberations of that mm-hmm. pebble dropped into the water so many years ago. We still feel the reverberations of that today. Uh, so Martin Luther King Jr., uh, most, if not everyone knows him and his story, and there's a huge part of his story as, as a preacher, as a congregational leader. When did it become clear to you that that was the direction that your life was supposed to go in also? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like as much as I am a firm believer in vision and kind of strategic planning, planning your life, having goals and all of that, I feel like none of that was a part of my life, right? When I was coming up, I feel like my life was almost by accident, like how I made it into this space, at least when I was going through it, it looked like it was just a bunch of random events that happened that without any connection. But then looking back hindsight, I can see kind of how everything kind of fit together. And so for me, getting to the point where I just became extremely passionate about vision and helping other people gain clarity and, you know, ordering their life and, and scripting their life according to the purposes and plans that God has for them, that really didn't happen until man, probably in the, or my early 30s. I'm about to be, I'm about to be 40 this year. So mm. late 29, 30-ish is when I began to really start to see the importance of personal vision, not just organizational vision, but personal vision. By that time, I had been pastoring for, you know, 10 years already, um, had been trying to lead churches, you know, started off in Mississippi with three small churches mm-hmm. and uh, really started to understand my particular gifting, my particular interest, my particular passion in ministry, and started to really dive into um, better understanding like organizational growth, organizational culture, how do we shift and shape, you know, influence individuals to become more engaged, and then just kind of stumbling upon this thing called vision and the role of vision and the impact of vision, and then picked up a few other tools along the way. And then it was almost like just an aha moment you know, several years ago where I was just like, wow, like, yeah, vision is great for organizations, but as for individuals, we also need to have like clarity of where we're going. And as I just think about people who have had like a great impact in society, whether it's social movements like Martin Luther King, whether it's technological advances like Steve Jobs, you know, whether it's political figures, like it feels like all of them at some point had a vision. Now, whether they articulated Mm -hmm. it as well as Dr. King did, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in this, I have a dream speech, I don't know, but on, on some level, they were driven by something greater than themselves that they were striving to achieve. It was almost like they were driven by a personal calling to contribute something to society, right? For Steve Jobs, it was to transform how we use, you know, technology, right? For, you know, other political um, individuals, it was to make a difference in this world. And so all of the great men and women that we look to and, 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 and are inspired by, all of them to a degree have had this kind of like beyond the horizon, this lofty, you know, carrot for better, for, for lack of a better illustration, this carrot that they were chasing, right? And that carrot being, you know, a compelling vision for their lives. So let, let's go back just a little bit. Yeah. Let's go back to Mississippi, you know, mm-hmm. leading three churches in, in Mississippi. Um, not familiar with the Mississippi context, but uh, can really identify with it from a from a Kentucky perspective, you know, having done the same That's thing, right. when did, when did, when did it become clear that in this space of three churches that I can, and until 
we can solidify what we're supposed to be doing here and where we're supposed to go, then we're just going to be spinning our wheels. Because I know I'm, I know a lot of, uh, of pastors listen to the podcast, but also uh, leaders who are in charge of, of multiple, multiple locations or multiple stations and can kind of resonate with having to manage places that have their own identity and their own culture. Mm-hmm. When, what, when you were in Mississippi, what was it that happened? Is it, is it a conversation? Is it just the, the buildup of all of those never-ending board meetings? What was the catalyst to say, okay, okay, Seth, you need, to, you need to go back and study some more. You need to get some more training, some more tools, some more prep on how really to walk people and organizations through what it means to, to live according to a well-articulated vision. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because when I was in Mississippi, like I literally had no idea what I was doing. Right. Like I, I, I kind of knew how to preach. Like, you know, I'll, I'll give myself some credit there. Like I knew how to bring a word. But as far as like leading a church, leading a congregation, like it was trial by fire. Like I'm just like calling senior leaders, senior pastors, friends of mine who had done it before, who, had, who they were probably five, six years ahead of me or 10, mm-hmm. 15 years ahead of me in the ministry. Yeah. So I'm calling them saying, OK, how exactly do you lead a board meeting? Like, how exactly do you like implement this? Black party, like how exactly do you do an evangelistic meeting? And so literally in Mississippi, the, the three years, three and a half years I spent there, it was really just me tr- trying to figure out myself and myself as it relates to like, what is my contribution to the church life? Like, I felt like pastors have like their, like their niche, right? Mm-hmm. Even though you, to a degree, have to be a generalist and know how to do everything, you also have an area that you're just you know, like, you know, extremely passionate about. I have friends and you have friends who they're pastoring and they're just like all about family life and counseling and therapy. Right. Yeah, and you have yeah. pastors who are all about like youth ministries and young adults. Then you have pastors who are all about like evangelism and outreach. And so I was really just trying to figure out like, who am I as it relates to me being in this space? And so literally my, my first experience in formal professional ministry was just me trying to f- try on a lot of different hats, seeing what fit and what didn't fit. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to pastor those churches because I feel like they kind of knew I didn't know what I was doing. Like mm-hmm. they were like compassionate and graceful enough to say, you know what, we're going to give this young guy, I was single, no kids. Like we just going to take him under our wing. And, you know, we see that he has some potential. I feel like this is what they said. Like we see he has some potential. So we're going to give him some space to like try some things and fail and get back up. And so for me, it was just kind of discovering. And it wasn't until the tail end of my time. It literally took me two and a half, close to three years to start to really realize, okay, this is what I'm really interested in. Like, I'm really interested in like business and administration and, and like the, that side of ministry, as opposed to the counseling or the evangelism or the youth. Like I'm more inclined, like, how do you actually organize a church or organize an organization for impact and for growth. Um, and so for, you know, for people who are listening and, and, and engaging in this podcast, man, just know that when you first step out there and are trying some things like be compassionate with yourself, a lot of it is you just trying to figure out what works for you. Right. 
And so that's kind of how I how I viewed my my time in Mississippi. And it wasn't until after I left Mississippi and moved to Tennessee and started pastoring a larger church that it became significantly more crystallized, like my purpose and my passion became significantly more crystallized. And I started to actually chisel away at, okay, how do I get better in this specific niche of ministry, like administration and, and, you know, creating organizational clarity? How do I, you know, establish clear values for my church? How do we, you know, what's the structure and our budget? And, you know, more on that end is when I started really practicing and chiseling away and uh, started delegating some of the other pastoral responsibilities like counseling or evangelism or things along those nature, that nature. So there, there are a lot of people who, a lot of young professionals uh, that really want to avoid Mississippi moments. Mm-hmm. They want to avoid the time in their, their personal growth and professional development where they're not in a notable leadership role where they have a good amount of resources, a good amount of support, a decent amount of maybe even notoriety. What, what's, the, what's the challenge uh, for a, a person that's looking to have an impact on culture, impact on their organization, but they're not willing to embrace those Mississippi moments, moments of obscurity or growth or personal transformation. Well, what's the challenge when we, when we look to avoid those altogether? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just think about, you know, just using like the basketball analogy, like whether it's a LeBron James or, you know, Kobe Bryant's, you know, rest in peace or Michael Jordan's like all of these individuals who have achieved significant accomplishment and success in their public life on the basketball court. Like it doesn't start there. It starts in the gym by yourself putting up shots after shots after shots, you know, you're working on your free throws, your three pointer, like whatever you're doing, you're, you're, you're putting in the work. And I feel like Mississippi, those Mississippi moments are you putting in the work in obscurity, you know, to use your word where no one can see you, the lights aren't on, the cameras aren't rolling, you know, but you were just literally trying to um, sharpen your teeth, right? You're trying to figure out your voice, um, when I went down to Mississippi, I feel like I, I I was excited for that opportunity. Now, granted, you know, there were there is that stigma behind Mississippi, like, oh, it's Mississippi, like there's nothing down there. You know, it's not a big city like, you know, Maryland, Atlanta, you know, um, you know, cities like that, L.A., that type of thing. But for me, man, there was just great people and the opportunity to learn. Right. And so I think that leaders, when you are starting off whether it's in your professional career, whether you're starting off in ministry, you have to have, you ha- make sure that you have that, that, that learner's growth mindset where you're saying, hey, okay, yeah, I mean, this may not be the ideal position right now. I'm not going to be here forever. So let me learn everything I can during this season. Because if you really maximize that season, it will add so much value to you in the next season right? That you go into because you really maximize it. You, you're essentially being a good steward with where you are, right? And I think that's what God calls us to do. But I think as a good leader, that's what we have to do is we have to steward the moments, no matter what they might be, whether it's the stage that we're being placed upon and there's lights all around us and the cameras are rolling, or whether it's just that one-on-one conversation you're having with that person and no one sees it and you're in, you know, in, a, in a grocery store in the, in the frozen food section, right? Like steward whatever moments you find yourself in, recognizing that it's, it's, it's the, the 
as these moments build upon the each other, that's what really shapes you and refines you to do great things. You know, let me know when you drop that T-shirt. <laughs> I, I want that one. Stuart, Stuart, the moments. That's that's a, an excellent, an excellent piece of advice. If you're listening to the Leading Well Green podcast, that that little bit from Seth, your daughter was was worth taking a few minutes out of your schedule to to listen today. And I want to ask you the question: How are you in your personal life stewarding the moments that that are given given to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I got to stay at Mississippi just a little bit longer. Sure because of the emerging leaders that engage the leading well green podcast and who are at the beginning, many of them of their, of their professional career, or, or maybe even let's take it a different direction. Let's talk about the second chair a little bit. Okay. And, and what does it take for an organization or maybe it may be a leader who, who their, their second chair, maybe even third chair and their, maybe track or the trajectory of what they're doing is not necessarily to move on from the Mississippi place, but to create the culture so that Mississippi can be transformative Mm -hmm. for the first chair leader that comes. So in a pastoral context, uh, three or four years, five years, there's an itinerant nature to, to small congregational leadership. And we know that most churches in North America have, a, a membership of 99 or less. Mm-hmm. If, if you're in one of those spaces as a second chair, third chair leader in our denominational construct, we see this person is maybe a, a first elder or a head elder in a, in a corporate or marketplace construct. Maybe it's an assistant director, mm-hmm. associate director who this is maybe for them, this is the spot. And they're trying to wrestle with how do I, man, I'm tired of every three or four years getting another young person that doesn't know what they're doing, that, that has all these grandiose ideas. How can the second or third chair leader and the organization itself do a better job of, maybe instead of complaining that this is their role or function in a culture, how can they embrace it so that the experience of that three or four or five years can be transformative for both them and the first chair leader? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like that that whoever that individual is, they're experiencing some frustration, right? They're experiencing some frustration because maybe they have some unmet expectations. Maybe they don't, they're not further along in their own organizational development or reaching their organizational goals or their own personal goals that they would like to be. And I, I you know, honestly, I think that we have to, to answer your question. I would encourage that person to look at redefining their purpose and redefining their role. So for example, when I was pastoring the church in Mississippi, like the churches there, they knew that for whatever reason, like the conference would send these, you know, young pastors who are straight out of the seminary into these districts. And it was like that, it was almost like the role of these districts to like create this incubator for these young ministers to grow. Now, whether that's right or wrong, that's just what it was. And so the, 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 the members of that church, like, yeah, while they recognize that, you know, maybe we did want to become like the, the, the biggest church in town, they realized that the, the, them actually reaching that was probably not going to happen. And so many of the members, and I'm so grateful for them, many of the members just just shifted their mentality to recognize that, you know what, our role is to help 
grow these men and these women who come through here to help them become better leaders. And if they are better leaders, then we're going to be better because of it. Right. And so rather than being frustrated with, you know, the revolving door every three to four years, you get a new, a new pastor. It was almost like, no, we recognize that this is the role that we play in the grand scheme of things. Right. And so when you are, and if you are that person who is in the second chair and you are the one who's frustrated because you feel like you're not getting that opportunity to be in the first chair or to lead on the level that you want to lead on. Again, I would just encourage you not lower your, your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations as much as for you to recognize that to a degree, all of us will always be in the second chair. Like even when you become like the senior pastor or the CEO or the director that you're hoping for, like you're still serving someone, right? And so never, never cast off that, that second chair mentality. Recognize that, you know what? I still have people that I, re- that I report to. I, have, I still have stakeholders that I'm trying to add value to. I still have a community that I serve. And so while I might be in the first chair, I'm still serving someone else. And while you are in the proverbial second chair, just embrace that moment and recognize that that's where God has you for now because there's something that he's trying to do in your life right now that if you, again, steward that moment and really embrace it, you will be better. And you will, once you, once that season transitions to the next, I'm, I'm telling you, I promise you, you will lead that much more effectively because you have gained all that you can possibly gain from serving in that second, second chair role, right? I was, you know, a, a second chair pastor, you know, I was an assistant associate pastor when I moved out here to California. And a lot of people looked at me like, oh, wow, why would you go back to the second chair? Why would you take on that associate role, having gone from senior pastor to now associate? And they looked at it like a demotion. But I honestly was honored to serve during the season I served, I was honored to serve in that capacity because I recognize, you know what, I can come along someone and I can hold their hands up and I can encourage them and strengthen them. And there's so much that I can gain from being in this seat so that now when I'm leading an organization and I have two or three or four people who are reporting to me, because I at one point reported to someone and I know how I want to lead, right? I know how I want to, how I want to, how, what experience I want them to have because of the experience I did or did not have, right? And so just, again, stewarding the moment, recognizing where you are is, is really can be leveraged for your betterment. I mean, think, for example, about, just to use a biblical character, think, for example, about Joseph, right? Here is his brother who he not just served in like the second chair, right? But he started in like the last chair, whatever that was. Like he was sold into slavery, Potiphar's house, was it Genesis 38, 39, sold into slavery, moved his way up because he was faithful in the moment, right? And then had to start all the way back again, back at the bottom when he became, when he got cast into the prison, right? And then was faithful in the moment and moved all the way up. And then, you know, doors opened because of his faithfulness. And so for that, for my young leaders out there, I would just encourage you, man, be faithful where God has placed you, you know, recognize that there's so much value that you can add to the people that you're serving and that you can gain for yourself if you really... Um, just embrace a spirit of contentment and a spirit of, you know, how can I add value and really brighten this corner where I am um, during this season? Man, I see another maybe line of business or maybe a, a talk or seminar that can come really out of this conversation. If we, if we really helped not just churches, but even there are some departments in organizations that are like this, that that department builds outfits 
really transforms uh, the person that comes and works with them for a short period of time. And they go on to do great things. I think of, I think of, is it Creed 2? Mm-hmm. Where he has to go to that like desert yep. boxing, yep. Yep. can't even call it a gym, you know. Yeah. But that experience really built him and fortified him for for what's to come. And if we get help, leaders and organizations embrace that role. You know, mm-hmm. everybody is not the arena. Uh, mm-hmm. Some organizations are just called to be that gym, that box, that rough place that really forms and crafts. Uh, what the leader is going to grow into. So yeah, definitely, definitely great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff, Seth. Man, I mean, you could look at it from even the standpoint of like a wilderness, like if you want to mm-hmm. go that far, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, the, the, the most powerful person who ever walked this planet, you know, perfect in every, on, in every domain of his life had a wilderness, right? Mm, yeah. You know, Jesus spent time, he spent 40 days in a wilderness, right? And so when you think about your own life, understand that wherever you go, like, don't avoid the wilderness, like understand that the wilderness is there and the wilderness is defined by that place where you do not want to be. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have to be Mississippi. Right. Cause for some people, Mississippi is their, Mississippi is their paradise and Southern California is their wilderness. Right. So the wilderness is wh- wh- wherever you don't want to be like recognize that there is some, some value that you can gain much value that you can gain from embracing those wilderness moments. For sure. So- so uh, I, I want to transition a little bit. At, at what point did these conversations about uh, vision, at what point did you see uh, vision and organizational health and leadership development? At what point did it migrate out of solely being in the, I'm just trying to help my church space to the way there's something more here, other organizations, other churches, other people can get value from the, really how I've been taught, trained, the things that I've studied over the years, and talk about even the tension of that sometimes, that, that persons of faith, leaders of faith, uh, when they go into the marketplace, that tension of sometimes, you know, that word of, I'm here to serve you, mm-hmm. and here's the, the, here's the sacrifice you, <laughs> that you're going to have to make for, for this service because it's not it's not free. I'm going to give you everything I have, mm-hmm. um, but there's a, a transaction that needs to take place. And that transaction does not minimize uh, mm-hmm. what I bring, doesn't cheapen it at all. So when did it, when did it begin the light bulb go off in your head that, okay, I need to take this beyond just helping my local context, but take these, this training to the marketplace. And then how did you wrestle with actually charging, you know, building a business around mm-hmm. uh, what the, this, this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, you know, I was fortunate to pastor some great churches. Um, and then I was also fortunate to be a speaker that a lot of times people would bring me in to do like a week of prayer or to do like a, you know, a special, a special day at their church to preach on a, a Saturday or Sunday morning. And so having, having the opportunity to not just pastor five or six churches throughout my time, but then also to just visit and to worship with other, you know, churches and other faith communities, I personally began to see a common theme throughout all the churches that I was visiting, right? And in talking to pastors, both who are friends of mine and then people who I would just, you know, meet along the way, I started to see a common thread and a common theme through all of the conversations. And that was, it was almost as if it became extremely clear to me that the the church literally 
from a theological position should be and really has like everything it needs to operate at a high level and to really make an impact in the community for good. But too often our churches are, are struggling. We are living far below, I believe, God's desire and God's ideal. It's almost like I was experiencing, you know, when you go outside to your water faucet, to the spigot, like on the side of your house, you hook up the hose, you want to water the flowers or water the grass, you turn the, the water hose on, but no water comes out, right? And so you're wondering like, okay, the water's, the water's flowing into the hose, but no water is flowing out of the hose. And then as you begin to like look through the hose, you begin to realize, oh, there's a kink here. There's a kink here. This is tied. That's tied. And that's literally what I was experiencing. I was experiencing like, wow, like I really believe that God is trying to like pour out his spirit in our churches. But for whatever reason, all of this stuff that he wants to give us, nothing is coming out of the hose. And it's not because we're not praying. It's not because, you know, we have ill intentions, but there are just systematic kinks in our organization, right? Kinks that manifest themselves in the form of, you know, not, you know, interpersonal conflict, kinks that manifest themselves in the form of um, people pulling in organizationally, they're pulling in different directions. There's not a unified, this is the the direction that we're going. Um, There's a lack of a leadership pipeline, or there's low volunteer engagement, or there's just, you know, just all types of systemic issues that we experience in our organization. Maybe a lot of traditionalism, where it's like, we're trying to uphold some traditions that are no longer really relevant. Our churches or our organizations are out of tune to what the community really needs. And so as a result, we're not able to have a significant impact in their lives. And so through my own exposure to my churches that I pastored and the churches that I visited, I just began to realize that, you know what? Like, I felt like God was calling me to solve that problem both because I wanted to solve it for my own church that I was pastoring, right? The one in Chattanooga and then in, in out here in, in Riverside at the Mount Rugo Church. I wanted to solve it for, for, their, for, for my own churches. But at the same time, I felt like, man, I feel compelled to not just help my own, but to also empower and equip other pastors. Because, Pierre, something that breaks my heart is when I see men and women of God who I know are extremely gifted. I mean, they can preach the word. They, they can administer. administer like, like no other, I mean, you put them at a, as the head of a, of a, of a bank of America or a corporation and they will just lead with like, like, like the sky is the limit for them. But when they're in these churches, like they're just experiencing frustration after frustration as they're literally beating their heads against the wall. And to me, it just breaks my heart when I see so many of us who are giving the best of ourselves to these churches or to these organizations and we're not experiencing the fruit of it. And so I felt like, you know what? I want to strengthen their hands. I want to help them. I want to equip them. I want to empower them. I want to come in there and help maybe fight some of the battles, you know, some of the tools that we were supposed to get at seminary that we didn't get at seminary. Let me help resource them so that they can actually experiencing the flow from the water, through their, from the spigot, through the, through their hose. And so that they can actually water their garden and experiencing the fruit of their labor. And so that's where the, the burden and the passion and the, the interest came from. And so along the way from Tennessee to, you know, Southern California, I just started doing a lot of research, a lot of Google, you know, real talk, just a lot of Google, what's out there, who's doing what, what organizations are, are addressing this or speaking to this, what leaders are addressing this or speaking to this, what did they study? Um, and so I just started kind of 
following the rabbit, the rabbit, rabbit hole down to see like, okay, what, what is it that these people who are operating on a high level, what did they do? Right. And through the process of, of this research, I discovered, you know, the role of vision and how to lead a church through a strategic planning process and how to actually implement a culture of leadership development and how to int- implement a culture of, of accountability and feedback. And so I invested my own resources. I invested my time. I invested you know, tens of thousands of dollars in my own education, my own certifications, getting additional degrees, um, building a system, building a framework that I could then bring and make available to other churches and other organizations. And so that's kind of where it started and where I am now. I'll be honest with you. My, my goal is to be able to provide my services to the church for free. Like that's ultimately my goal, right? Where if you call me in to, 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 to work with your church, like, yo, no, no, no problem. I'll, I'll be there. I recognize a lot of churches, our budgets are tight. So don't even worry about it. Like that's my goal. Now I'm not there yet, but that's, that's been, that's a part of my own vision plan. It's like, God, this is where I ultimately want to go, where I can provide these services to, you know, organizations that are getting grants and funding. And so they have the money to pay for my services. So that then I can then give my services to the body of Christ and not have to, not have to charge them because it's just my heart to do. Man, I, I resonate with that so much. Uh, I put down in, in one of, one of my uh, journals a, a while ago that what I wanted to be able to do to give back to really the faith community, faith tradition that I come from is when, when I show up to to do something, to 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 speak or to teach or to train, I want to show up with a check mm-hmm. that sows into, that pours back into that instead of receiving one uh, when I show mm-hmm. up. So I, I share I share that. I share that with you. Yeah, man. Um, sure. And, in some regard. Now, I know we should have asked this question at the outset, and I know we're deep into the, the podcast episode, but help us understand, man, we, we throw this word out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people talk about it, but sometimes we're, we, we find it difficult to concretize even our definition of it. When you say vision, uh, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And what does a leader need to be able to craft a vision for their organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a good question. There are, I mean, just from a, a theoretical, the research side, there are a number of definitions for vision. And I'll just give my my take on what vision is. Vision is a clear, compelling picture of the future that rallies support, engenders commitment, and that challenges norms, right? So vision is, number one, it's clear, Right. So it's not it's not um, hazy. It's not blurry. Right. You can see it. Right. It is compelling, meaning I feel like it's speaking to me. It's it's challenging me. It's not something that um, is just kind of like kind of going over my head, but it's speaking to my heart and it's compelling me to kind of lean forward. And it's a picture of the future, right, at its core. Um, it's not a picture of where we are today, but it is a picture of where are we going to be a year from now, three years from now, five years, 10 years from now, right? Um, and that, that picture is so clear and it's so compelling that it, it, it elicits the, the support and the engagement of those people that hear it, that identify with it, right? That they say, man, let's, let's do that. It's, it's no different than if I say to you, you know, hey, Pierre, you know, I'm going to take you and your wife and your kids to 
to Hawaii for, for two weeks, all expenses paid. And we're going to go in like six months. Like it's clear. You can see Hawaii, right? It's compelling because you want a vacation and you want it all expense paid. And so you're like, okay, what do I need to do to get there? Right? When is the plane leave? Like you will put yourself in a position, you'll block off your time to take advantage of what I'm offering you. And I think that is the essence of a vision. It's a clear, compelling picture of the future that 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 calls from people a, a, a longing to be a part of it, right? Um, so that's that's how I how I understand vision. And to answer your second question, like how do leaders actually come up with or or articulate this vision? Um, for me, I feel like the best way to discover, right? I don't want anyone to think that they just come up with a vision, right? I think that leaders, specifically faith-based leaders, we have to discover, right? The idea, the big idea is that God already knows where he wants you to go, right? He already knows, he already sees the promised land that he's trying to take your congregation. He's trying to take your organization. He knows the problem that he has placed you in that city to solve, right? And so it's not so much of me creating something or coming up with something or what a lot of us do, unfortunately, borrow a vision from another church. I was going to say steal, but we borrow a vision from another church. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you actually discovering, God, what is your dream for these people in this place? And if I can discover what God wants to do, then to me, that the sky is the limit. Like, and that, that discovery process, it's not me going to the mountain by myself, but a lot of it is me being in tune with my people because this is the reality, Pierre. And I'm speaking specifically to my faith leaders. God has already been working in your church, right? Henry Blackaby says this, right? And experiencing God, he talks about how God has already, he's always been working, right? He's always been working. So it's not like I have to, I have to convince God to do something. I just have to discover, God, what have you already been doing in these people's lives, right? Now, unfortunately, God has been working. Well, fortunately, God has been working. Unfortunately, a lot of people have allowed, you know, uh, kinks in the water hose to prevent the work of God from fully manifesting. And so your work as a leader is to really mine out, okay, God, what have you been doing in this place? Where do you want to take us? And what are those things that are preventing us from getting there? And that's not something that you can discover on your own. You need to have conversations with your people. You need to have conversations with the community. What are the problems that are, that are existing in your environment, your external environment? What are the strengths and the, the abilities of the people that you've been called to lead? Even if you want to take this to the marketplace, right? Like, I believe that even the marketplace and the, and the for-profit businesses, like there's a problem that you are in business to solve, right? Whether that's providing a, a product, whether it's, you know, coffee that'll get people going in the morning or whether it's, you know, opening a restaurant that'll feed people who are hungry or maybe providing some type of um, um, technological solution um, that will help them organize their day or plan their schedules better because you're providing some type of planner or some type of, some type of phone or or whatever it is, like even in the marketplace, there is a problem that your business is positioned to solve. So you have to understand your people, the environment, what you're good at. And when you can understand, okay, this is the problem. This is what we're good at. This is kind of where we've been. It becomes very clear, possibly where God is calling us to go. There, there, I want to, I want to push back a little bit on, on what you said in terms of not going up to the mountaintop and and kind of just coming up with it there, because there are some people who think who, who listen to this, 
uh, who have even heard it from other places. They think that, well, if I can't go to the mountain or to the closet or or take a sabbatical and go away for three months, if I can't do that and come back with on on my own with, you know, with grit and prayer on my own, come back with this this amazing vision for for my church, for my organization, Mm -hmm. then I'm not a leader Mm. if I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And we see, you know, that beginning to borrow, you know, steal from others because Mm -hmm. of that pressure of willing to be able to, or of wanting to be able to do it on your own, Mm -hmm. or even the culture that says you have to do it on your own. Talk talk about kind of demystify that for us and, Mm -hmm. and the reality that that leadership is, effective leadership is really knowing okay who who am i pulling with me uh mm-hmm. that that may be equipped in different areas maybe that's an outside person like you and we'll get to that in a few moments mm-hmm. or people already on my team who who we can rally together and really kind of birth or pay attention to what's already around us together why is it so important to kind of push back on that idea that the leader is supposed to do it. You know, that great man leadership model, the leader is sure. supposed to do it by themselves. Sure. In real talk. You can do it by yourself. <laughs> like, like I'm not saying you can't. Uh. You can do it. And if you are, honestly, if you are a church planter, if you are a sole proprietor, right? If you're starting your own business and it's just you and your wife or you and your husband, by all means, you go to, you go into your closet and you figure out what you need to do and then you come out, right? But if you are stepping into an organization that's already been in existence, if you try to pull that off, which you can do, you will experience the same thing that the last person who tried to pull that off experienced, and that was Moses. Moses went to the mountain, he got his vision, he came down, and what was, what was the first thing Moses experienced when he came down from the mountain with the vision from God? The people were like, doing whatever they wanted to do. They were dancing around idols. Moses was frustrated. He threw the vision down, broke broke it in pieces, had to go back up. And Moses literally spent his entire life trying to get the people in line with what God was trying to call them to do, right? So much so that he didn't even make it into the place where God was calling them to go because he got so frustrated, he beat the rock, right? And so, yes, you can follow and I call it the Moses method. You can follow the Moses method, but just take it from me. And I think Pierre, you might also be able to, to co-sign having pastored a number of churches, the Moses method, I don't believe is the most effective method in this day and age, because inevitably you will spend however long you remain at that church or that organization, another three, five, seven years, you will spend all of your time trying to convince them to get on board with what you believe God told you to do. Right. I believe a better model than the Moses method is what we see take place in the Acts church. Right. Acts chapter two, chapter three, where the disciples got together and it was the core leadership team. They went to the upper room together, Pentecost, and collectively they heard from God. And then they came out of Pentecost, all of them on fire, all of them preaching, all of them leading. And the church grew exponentially. Right. And they did not experience while there was opposition, obviously, from unbelievers, they didn't experience any of the headaches or the hardships that Moses experienced. 
you know, from Old to New Testament. And so for me, I, I, I would just encourage our, our, our leaders, both young and old, that, I mean, yes, you can go into your prayer closet and yes, God will speak to you, but I would just encourage you to create space for God to also speak to all of your leaders, right? Take your core leaders with you into the prayer closet so that together you all can hear from God. Together you all can brainstorm and pray storm, right? You all can hear and see what God is trying to do in that place. And then you can come out of that prayer closet, that upper room experience with um, cohesion and with clarity and with a, a codified vision, a codified message for where you feel, where you all feel collectively God is trying to lead the organization in the, in, in the future. I want to challenge you if you're you're listening to the Leading Well Green podcast and maybe you're not a person of faith that doesn't fit your paradigm. That's not your thing. I, I, I want to challenge you just for the sake of learning from stories. And we do it all the time. We we watch TV shows. We mm-hmm. we watch movies and we learn from the characters. I just want to ch- challenge you to as as Seth has been talking about the story of Moses and the Moses method, just just for sake of research. Go and read the book of Exodus and just underline what happens in the life of Moses. Now, you can't just read book of Exodus. It's going to compel you to read the next book after that. But just read Mo- just read Exodus and kind of trace Moses's journey as a leader. And what Seth has been talking about will just come to life as you do this for research purposes, just for mm-hmm. research purposes. Seth, I know we're we're running out of time in this, and I know we could go for another couple of hours talking about this. I know you're you're so passionate about it, but there's a couple of things that I need to get in before we end our our conversation. And I and I want to talk about the value of an outside voice mm. in in helping organizations. We both work in this space of coaching and consulting, mm. and 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 maybe you've had this experience where. The, being the outside voice that's brought in and having the leader sometimes be uncomfortable because it seems like, you know, that, that, that coaching consulting space, you, you come in, you got your methodology, you got your nice briefcase, everything is well-defined for this action for this three or four days um, that you've, no one knows that you spend hours uh, polishing, crashing and burning, crying about just to get to this point. But sometimes there's a hesitancy in leaders to bring in that outside voice, mm-hmm. to walk them, their team, their organization through. Give, give, give me experience of maybe working with an organization that was hesitant at the beginning, but then afterwards, the leader basically said this was the best thing that we could have done. Mm-hmm. And, and that leader walked away feeling more empowered um, from, that time, from that time with you. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think the reality is that most most of the clients that I work with now are faith-based. I have a few educational clients, schools that I work with, but most of them are faith-based churches. And so as a result, um, within our faith tradition, the pastor is not in a position to like pull the trigger on a lot of decisions. It has to go to the board, it has to go to the finance committee, you know, there's checks and balances. And so they have to get approval from a number of, of, of different committees in order to bring someone in like myself. And it never fails that as a pastor, a lot of times the pastor or the leader sees the value in it because what they've experienced is like, hey, I tried to lead this church through this process on my own and we just haven't gotten anywhere. Maybe because of interpersonal issues, maybe we've, we've hit some roadblocks. I'm working with a church right now. I don't know if you can see behind me, you know, we're doing a virtual session. I got my charts on the wall and we're meeting on the weekends. 
like he, he, the pastor that I'm working with, he's like, listen, I, I tried to lead them through this process and we just kept, kept hitting walls. And because you are the leader, a lot of times what you say, people will like, they'll start to feel like you're taking sides. Like if there's two individuals who are, who are having this conversation and you take one side, it just kind of doesn't, it just creates an interesting dynamic. And so the pastor brought me in. It's like, Hey, I, I want you to help lead through us through this process, but it never fails. I would say six out of 10 churches that I work with, there is someone on the finance board committee who feels like, oh, we don't need that. We can do it on our own. Like we're good. Like why would we pay for someone to come do something that we can do on our own? And I think the value that bringing someone in does is it just allows you to answer the critical questions that you need to answer to arrive at the conclusion you're looking for without trying to come up with the process, right? Like when you bring me in, what you're paying for is the process, right? You're not paying for my necessarily expertise. I'm not coming in as as a content expert. I don't know you. I don't know your congregation. I don't know your organization. I don't know your community, but I do know my process. And so you're basically saying, lead us through a process that will allow us to reach a destination together where we can have clarity surrounding a vision, right? And so, yes, you can probably read a book and you can, you know, look at some webinars and you can come up with your own process, but Individuals like myself, peer individuals like you and others similarly, like we have taken time, we've invested tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in understanding and researching and best practicing and benchmarking what is the what is the best way to lead an organization through this process or to lead them through leadership development or training and training and and, and and program implementation like and so we're we're really specialized we're specialized in this i mean it's no different than you saying you know what you know i got this pain in my stomach i'm just going to youtube it and i'm going to get some scissors and i'm going to just i'm just going to go to work on myself i'm going to take on my own appendix i don't need a doctor i mean you can do that, right? No one's going to stop you, right? Or hopefully your, your spouse will stop you, but you know, no one's going to stop you from doing that. But you could also just bite the bullet and bring someone in who you know they've done this over and over and over and over and over again. And they know exactly how to do it in such a way where it'll lead to um, the, the least amount of bleeding, the least amount of pain, you know, the recovery time will be faster because they perfected the process. Right. And so that's the value that a consultant, that's the value that a coach brings. And this is not to suggest this is not bringing in a consultant is not an indictment on your on your leadership. It is not an indictment on your on on your own capabilities. Right. No more than me going to the doctor is an indictment on my leadership. Like, no, I'm going to someone who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn how to take out an appendix right? How to take out a gallbladder, right? That's what I'm going for. And so you bring in someone, you're saying, hey, I want to bring in someone who has invested time, energy, gifting, and passion on how to lead an organization through the current, you know, barriers that we're facing. Um, the, the last thing I would say is the value of a someone like me, the value of someone like you is that we don't come in with the baggage that you currently have. And it's not baggage in a bad way, but it's just like sometimes because you're in the organization, what's the saying? Like you're too close to the forest to see the trees, right? So you, so you don't, because you're in it, 
your perspective is a little skewed as opposed to someone who comes from outside of it and they can look and they can say, oh, okay, I see some things. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And it just is another perspective, right? And so that's also the value. It gives another, another perspective on what you're facing. Seth, I know you do work, uh, just incredible work with churches and different organizations. And I've even spoken to so many of the leaders that you have worked with who really give these awesome testimonies of, of this experience. And then what happens afterwards, you know, that, that different set of work in which the, the leader and the team need to continue to build on. Uh, but you also do this for individuals. And I know there are some people who say, you know, my organizationally, culturally, we're like on point. Things are moving. Things are clicking. I love it. I've been able to advance in my career and grow my organization. But my challenge is me. Like mm-hmm. my challenge is I kind of just fell into this and I feel like I got lucky and I, I feel like I maybe I could do this for 10 more years and be cool with it. But I don't really have like a compelling vision of what my personal life is supposed to be that encompasses my my professional pursuits. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what's, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the value? Because I feel like in some ways it's similar. A person thinks, well, if I can't just sit down and come up with it, you know, read, read a couple books, do, go to Google University. If I can't just come up with it, then, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not meant to be, maybe it's not meant to be. What's the value of this same or similar process that you walk organizations through? What's the value of the leader themselves going through that, through that similar process? Mm-hmm. I mean, every, every great man or woman that has achieved much of anything noteworthy in their life, they've done it with people helping them get there, right? And we're just going to use the basketball analogy. Like, I'm sure LeBron James could be like, I can coach myself, right? Or I can have a Eric Spolstra or a Ty Lu or a, you know, what's his coach? I don't know his, know his coach's name now. Like, I can, I can bring Frank, these coaches. Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel. Like, man, you out there in California. What you mean? I know, you? right? <laughs> listen, man, listen, if they don't win this series, we getting rid of Frank Vogel, man. Listen. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so, I mean, so I think it's, it's just recognizing, again, that you are really good at some things, but no one is good at everything. And so being able to also partner with individuals who can help you get better at the things that you're really good at. Right. And so that's where coaching comes in. That's where, you know, you know, someone like myself or even like you, Pierre, who can help someone kind of figure out, okay, what is your long-term plan? And again, it's, it's process, right? The value that they add is they're bringing a system, a structure, right? Phil Jackson, he brought the triangle, right? That it's the system that that person's bringing the framework that will help you, take your strengths and your gifting and maximize them. Um, I have a leadership, like, listen, I'm coaching several clients right now, but I also have a leadership coach that I'm paying, right? Because I just recognize that, yeah, I mean, I could apply the same principles I'm telling my clients to my own life, but I also need someone who can give me perspective on my life. Now, it's not a therapist, even though I'm, I'm a big fan of therapists and I have a therapist as well that I see and talk to. But it's just a coach, like someone who says, okay, says, where are you with your leadership? What are you struggling with? Where are you trying to go with it? What are some roadblocks, roadblocks that you're experiencing? And they can give me a perspective because the reality is I too am too close to my own forest to see the trees. Like I'm too close to it. I need perspective. 
And so whether it's for your organization, that yes, your organization needs it, but also you as a leader, you as an individual, you also need someone who can give you perspective, can speak into your life, and can really help you chart a course for success. Now, to your point, Pierre, obviously you can Google it, you can read some books, and you can probably figure it out on your own. And there are some people who that's their preferred method. I'm not speaking to them. I'm speaking to those individuals who they say they're going to Google it and read the books, but they never do, right? And so as a result, they just spend their life just kind of wandering, saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to read this book. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need a coach. I'm just going to read this book. But you actually never do, right? I'm speaking to that individual who, um, yeah, someone like myself, someone like you could add so much value to, to their life. Seth, before I let you go, I need you to give me a story. Give me an experience, an encounter, maybe after a weekend, maybe even in the when we were doing in-person physical stuff or maybe in the virtual space where you are now, where after that experience uh, with that team or working with that individual leader, you walked away saying, yeah, this right here, this is why I got into this Mm -hmm. in the first place. Like this is... This is the, you know, if you could take a picture of the moment, this would be the testimonial. This is what I would put on the, on the, on the, on the video reel mm-hmm. of why this work with, with vision clarity is, is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. There was a church I was working with in a particular city and it, and it was actually a smaller church. You may be familiar with it. It was a smaller church and um, they were, they, they had their actual church gathering in a YMCA. And when I say a smaller church, then they, there may have been 50, 60 people who attended on a weekend. And so they brought me in because they were trying to figure out, okay, where we're going and how are we going to get there? And so we started engaging this process. We started on Friday, went through Saturday, and something happened. It was probably Sunday mid-morning where something happened where it was like, it was almost like someone dropped like the vision bomb. No, no. Like the vision bomb went off. Like it was always there, but someone stepped on it, right? The IED, someone stepped on it and it just blew up in the room. And that to me, like what I experienced in that moment is what I live for. It, the vision dropped so heavy that everyone got it and everyone was on the same page and everyone, it was just like this aha moment where people just sat back and they were like, that's it. And you could just see like the light bulbs go off. And I'm talking about, you know, there were white people in the room. There were black people in the room. There were Asian people in the room. There was older people who were in their 60s and 70s. There were younger people who were in their 20s and 30s. Like it wasn't like it was this monolithic group. Like it was a very diverse group. But when the vision hit, it was clear this is what God was calling them to do. And and it it didn't come from me. Like it wasn't like I proposed this idea. It was just like, a, a culmination of conversations and prayer and processing and, and circling the wagons and, and brainstorming and praystorming that eventually it just hit at one moment and everyone caught it at the exact same time. And I came away from that experience like, you know what, that's what I desire every church. It left them feeling so just empowered and there was so much synergy in the room. There was momentum. They came out of there feeling like, yes, we can do this. Now, obviously, after the vision drops, that's where the hard work starts because you actually have to do it. But to me, that's the moment I live for. And that's what I desire 
every organization to experience where there is just a very clear, compelling, comprehensive vision that calls us to lean in and to engage, that we're willing to set aside our personal agendas, we're willing to set aside our our egos and our own personal goals, and we're willing to say, how can we win together to accomplish this vision? And so to me, that was my, that was on my highlight reel that I think about, you know, it wasn't a big church. They didn't have tons of resources. It wasn't a mega church. They didn't have millions of dollars in the bank. It was just 50 people, you know, on a, on a weekend in the room, there was eight or nine people. Right. And they were just praying and processing and uh, God dropped the vision and it, and it was, it was beautiful. And so that's my desire for all, for all of our, for all the organizations I work with brother. Before I let you go, I know you've listened to the podcast before, man, this is shameless plug time shameless plug time give it get all the urls all the handles all the I mean, if there's a coupon that we need to download yeah yeah, yeah whatever yeah. it is man just let us know how how can we get in contact with you how can we find out man, more about honestly, your work everything yeah just go to my website visionclarity360.com um you can find me there uh, i'm on ig twitter um, only Facebook because I have to be, not because I want to <laughs> be. But, uh, you know, Seth Yolorda, you can find me there. But yeah, just jump over to my, my website, Vision Clarity 360. I would love to connect with um, any of you all who are listening. Um, even if I can just be a sounding board and you want just a one-time free, you know, clarity session is what I call them. You can you can find me on my website and I would love to just kind of brainstorm and brainstorm with you to see where you are and what you're working through and see how I can add value. And then just the last thing I would I would leave is I want... I want these, the, the, you, the, your listeners, whether they're young leaders or older leaders, I just really want to drive home to them that vision really is the primary work of the leader, right? Vision is mm-hmm. the primary work of the leader. Yes, yes, you got to manage and yes, you got to make sure everything is working. But the reason why you are a leader is because you are trying to take people somewhere, And so in your mind, you have to know very clearly, this is where I am trying to take you, right? That is your primary work. And so if you don't, if you as a leader don't have a clear vision for your organization or for your life, then where are you going to take the people? You're you're no longer leading. You're just managing, Mm. right? It's, it's, you have an organization and you just want to make sure the organization doesn't die. You've become a manager and, and this is no shade to any managers out there because managers play a pivotal role in organizational effectiveness and organizational growth. But when it comes to leadership, a leader has to know this is where we're going, right? And so vision becomes the primary work of the leader. So I want to encourage you to lean into vision. If you don't have one, do the hard work of pulling together a team, a vision team, and start brainstorming, start brainstorming. How can we discover where God wants us to go? Um, Give me a call or reach out to someone that you know that can lead you through a process to help you gain extreme clarity, stunning clarity, like what I like to say about, um, about your future. Listen, we're going to put some links in the show notes so people have no excuse. I mean, you're literally one click away Mm -hmm. and Seth has offered a free clarity session. So I got that link in the show notes so you can click, you can get in contact with Seth and you can have that conversation that you need uh, to experience the clarity that that your organization and that you as a leader are, are longing for. My guest on this episode has been Seth Yolorda. We've had a great conversation about vision, clarity. Seth, thanks so much for being my guest today. Man, my pleasure. Thank you, brother. Great conversation with Seth Yolorda. 
and you want to head over to visionclarity360.com. That's visionclarity360.com. I'll put some links in the show notes, but you want to head over there and sign up for your free clarity session that Seth mentioned in our conversation. How often do you get a free offer to sit down to talk with someone about crafting the vision, finding the vision for you or for your organization. So you want to take him up on that offer. And when you reach out, be sure to let Seth know you heard about that offer on the Leading While Green podcast. Listen, that's all we got for this episode of the podcast. You know, it's my mission to help you live, learn and lead with confidence. You know that, right? You know that, right? So until next time, take care and God bless.